0: This is The first time presented by Trap Brewing Company.
1: Beer is super complicated. Like, it's super simple and super complicated, but it is literally a, a distribution of, of thousands of compounds, organic, inorganic. There's a lot of biological activity in beer, which does all types of interesting things. And so it depends on how small you want it. So you have a beer and like how it's a black box and it tastes good at the end of the day. But, like, how much you want to shrink that black box and unpeel kind of layers and go, well, why does it taste like this? Why does this mouth feel like this? Why is this this acidity sort of sharp? Why is it not?
0: Hello. Here we are. We are back. Back with a new episode of the first time after uh, just a little bit of time. Yeah. I mean... I don't know what to say really. It's been quite busy really. Yeah, I guess I could say that. Uh, I started this podcast, man, it feels way back now in kind of the height of lockdown to keep in touch with people that I couldn't otherwise see. I mean, none of us could see anyone really, if you think of how crazy it was back then. And keep communicating, keep interesting conversations going, keep relationships going, that otherwise weren't achievable because we were all locked in our houses or locked in our breweries or just working wherever we could and doing whatever we could to stay sane. And I think it became something. It became a real passion project for me. The beauty of this industry is the fascinating people that have made it their careers. And I kind of wanted to follow that, follow their trajectories, understand why they'd kind of chosen this as a career path when they might have otherwise had other things going, and just enjoy their company, really, for, for an hour. And hopefully that reflected in some interesting conversations for you to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it did. I think I think it did. I think it achieved what we wanted it to achieve. Um, it's been amazing to kind of get back out and do some festivals and have people come here and do collaborations and have a bit of direct feedback, people saying, are you bringing it back? The, the answer was in my head, yes. It just needed to feel like the right time and have the right amount of I just wanted it to be good. I wanted to make sure that the production was good. I wanted to make sure that the conversations were good and not rushed and that the guests were good and that it was giving something to you guys. And I hope we're in a place where we can do that. So I'm waffling on, but yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to be back talking into a microphone in an empty room by myself. <laughs> but here we are, the first episode of The Thirst Time. And we have an absolutely incredible list of guests going forward. Also, I might add that the aim of this one is to not have seasons. I'm going to do my best, my very, very, very best to have an episode for you every week, which hopefully will last for as long as I can keep it going for. So without further ado, let's dive in to the first episode in a little while of the first time we've got an amazing show for you today. Uh, I sat down with Pete and Michelle from Equilibrium Brewery, who many of you will know. The first time I kind of came in contact with them was at Hop City a couple of years ago and was just absolutely blown away by the beers. Pete is got a PhD from MIT. Super interesting guy. Very, very, very science heavy, uh, which was, you know, there's a little bit of geeking out on here, which is amazing. Uh, Michelle came on as an ultra fan of the brewery and has shaped their visual aspects and she really captures what i think pete was trying to do with the beer she's put into a visual aspect and if you know me you'll know that i love the visual side i also love the beer as well um i don't want to give too much away let's just get there i've talked for long enough let's just get into it so here it is you are listening to track brewing co presents the first time and this is our interview with Pete and Michelle from Equilibrium. I hope you enjoy it. say which beer it was or which moment it was that really led you into the career in craft beer that you now
1: have? Yeah, 100%. Uh, Hedy Topper by Alchemist. So that, that that's the beer and I, I think that the moment is a very sort of stretched out moment, but it was it was tasting uh Heady Topper for the first time and being like, I don't understand this beer. Like, why does this beer smell like mango and pineapple and this is delicious and crushable? And I think sort of more than that. So then I wanted more heady Topper. Yeah. And it was like this whole like trek. And I don't know if this ties into some evolutionary hunter gatherer thing, but it was like, all right, I have to drive six hours and wake up at 1 a.m., and then I go see all these like-minded hunter-gatherers that are also looking for Hetty Topper in this line of like 300 people, but they have other beer to drink. And it became this sort of like magical journey and this, this kind of experience. And then when I brought some Hetty Topper back to New York and my friends had it, they're like, wait, what is this? Wait, beer tastes like this? I didn't know beer tastes like this. We want more of this. I'm like, well, to get this beer, you have to go on this magical journey to this place called Vermont, which is five hours north. And I I think one of the things that sort of made me fall in love with the industry from the community side was seeing how much like, how like an amazing beer could make amazing experiences for people. Yeah. And it really kind of became a focal point of people gathering and having this really amazing time. And that was sort of what I fell in love with was the experience that craft beer offered. And mine was, like, running around, like, Vermont to, to Alchemist, to Hill Farmstead, to Blackback Pub in Waterbury, uh, to places in Burlington. And just going, like, and I, and I, I don't know, I've always wondered, it, it is, like, a hunter-gatherer instinct thing of, like, we must trek north to find the beer we want. And, you know, we're not fighting Nemesis anymore or anything, but it was, like, you know, we want <laughs> this beer. And it, and it was part of, part of the experience was getting the beer and standing in line and having a reason to hang out with all these like-minded sort of wonderful people who are also sharing alcohol. And I don't know, I don't think my wife's going to hear this, but it's also an excuse to drink beer at like 6 a.m. And it was kind of like really fun. And it's sort of like tailgating for a sports game, but with way better beer and sort of people telling these other stories and these other like, did you go to this release? And, you know, Michelle can tell you in a second when she flew on six helicopters to get the side projects, <laughs> to smell one ounce <laughs> of something. And it's like, it, it, part of it was like the, the the journey and the people you meet along the journey. And it just really created such a wonderful community. Yeah. And and I think this is when I started equilibrium back in my house. Like part of what I wanted, one, was to have really good beer a little bit closer to my house. Because, yeah, you know, the 13-hour thir- trips in a day were kind of a lot. Yeah, there's only uh, so,
0: mo- so many mammoths that you can actually slaughter to get your... Exactly, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Uh, but it, it, it was also to sort of make that experience accessible to people around here because it's something yeah. that I was like, oh wow, this is really amazing. You know, I want to bring some of this back down to to New York, yeah. and that's what sort of kind of led to Equilibrium and sort of the line life and the culture that we, we created around Equilibrium. I mean, you know, COVID definitely threw a curveball at that, but that's definitely how we, we started.
0: Oh man, there is. There's so much in there that I want to, I want to dive into. Um, but Michelle, let's go, let's go with yours as well. What was the first beer that kind of led you into the, to this journey?
1: Tabricot, apricot,
2: peaches. No, <laughs> I, mean, like, super high level. I was always picking up Sierra Nevada and stone. I'm talking like 16 years ago, 17 years ago. Um, but the thing that really helped me get into craft beer, cause I was just still kind of curious at the time about it. Um, a craft beer bar opened up really close to my house called the Chicos. They're like a specialty market, but they had 15 taps on. And many of the beers they would have on, I had never heard of. Like, I didn't know what a mixed-firm beer was, I didn't know what spontaneous beer was. They would have like Cantillon on the shelf at this time. And then I really got into Hazies and all these different styles. And then I started to explore like craft breweries and traveling and like, hey, there's a craft brewery an hour away. Let's go here. Start meeting friends. And then I was going to Allagash to pick up cool ship bottles for releases. And it just became like this hobby. And at the time I was um, a dental hygienist. So I was, you know, cleaning teeth during the day. And then as Pete mentioned, like doing these crazy trips on weekends with friends, like. I would take red eyes and I would go to side project. I would go to Santa Darius, all these places, to try different beers. And I just started developing this network of amazing people around me through craft beer. And it just hasn't stopped. And I'm still the nut job that will like, leave Seattle on a Sunday night at midnight and fly right into equilibrium the next day. And like, you know. Yeah, she's um, crazy. <laughs> I'm but I would say like, just um, super high level. Yeah, I was like the Sierra Nevadas, the Stones, but right. I really credit uh, DeChico's and one of our uh, friends, Chris DeChico, actually owns it. And I, I say he started me on this journey. Wow, really? Yeah. yeah.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. This, so generally when I do this, we kind of start from the, well, we start from the start and go through to where we are now. But there's a couple of things in there that you just said that I found really interesting, which is obviously that kind of Q culture and community. So, if we um, reverse engineer equilibrium, because you managed to cultivate that with with your own project, what does it take to to that? What does it take to get to that point where you do have and and the feeling that you get when you have people uh, queuing up for your beers, especially as someone that's been doing that themselves for so long, but at other breweries.
1: So, what's sort of funny is uh, when we wrote our business model we were 100% doing uh, distribution of kegs to draft accounts.
0: Right. We, we didn't even
1: open with the ability to can our beer. You know, we, we came in with no expectations that we would have such a, such a crazy response. And so we were not prepared for it at all, which is why we didn't have a budget for a canning line or mm-hmm. even a great system in place to, to do growlers of beer. Um, we didn't even want to do a taproom when we opened because, uh, it was two engineers that are very good at sort of water science and liking beer, but we don't know how to run a taproom or a restaurant. So we actually kind of outsourced that at the beginning. And what happened, I, I think is we happened to, to meet the right people at the right time. I craft beer, in New York, uh, this guy, uh, Mike DeClario, Matt Lefkowitz and Paul Boussier. And I literally brought them growlers of homebrew. And i said hey we're gonna open a brewery by the way i'm an mit phd in water chemistry and beers concentration stuff and water beer should be pretty good i'm very happy with it and i think they like it so much they're like all right as soon as you guys and so we went went, kind of promoted right to the specialty division and they said as soon as you guys get kegs this give it to us and then they they sent it out to like all the really high-end niche craft beer bars and it had this like crazy response where people were going wait is this better than Trias? Is this better than Hill Farmstead? Or is wow. it in the same league? It's not quite as good, but people are talking about it. And I remember getting a message uh, from Mike DeClario going to this place to Chico's that there's a line of like 200 people out the door to get crawlers of this beer. Wow. And so we, we I was had- online,
2: by the way, before I knew Pete, before Equilibrium. I had a pour of MC Squared at the Chico's that day it first arrived because no I heard way. like this buzz about a new. The craft brewery opening goes
1: by. Yeah. And so, like, uh, uh, my my co-founder and I, we were like, oh, my God, this is fucking crazy. Like, we went out and people were like, oh, my God, empty squared. And, like, I actually had a, a a cop pull me over, which always freaks me out. And he pulls me over and he's like, I just want to thank you for empty squared. It's really good. And I'm like, that's <laughs> not appropriate to pull me over and turn your lights on and and whatnot. And we we kind of had a we kind of had a buzz back at my house where we started, we're, we're brewing. Um, MC squared was originally called strangers in the morning yep. before, like we were really clear in what the the brand was, uh, because we would make this beer and nobody around, at least in my circle friends and in my kind of demographic, uh, area was used to drinking 8% double IPAs. They were used to drinking 3% Bud lights and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so, I would make this homebrew batch, which would be five gallons, which is not a ton of beer, but, you know, it's a six full or a log or whatever you guys call it. And batch after batch, more and more people would show up to the point where, like, I would have, like, a little mini line at my porch. And people would just, like, rip through this beer, and we would kind of get a little tuned up. And I would wake up, and I'd be like, who the fuck are these people on my couch? Like, I don't even know who these are. And so MC squared got to be known uh, as strangers in the morning. And, and so <laughs> I'll say my, my girlfriend at the time wanted that to stop. She was like, <laughs> make a lower, make it, make a lower ABV, make a lighter beer. And it was like, Oh, a photon. And so that's actually how photon kind of was birthed of like, can we make MC squared at a lower alcohol content? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of like, we started with a little bit of line crazy at my house and you know, we're not talking hundreds of people but but people i didn't know were like showing up to drink my homebrew and i was like this is weird That's and not really something weird. like we <laughs> ever That's yeah we were bunkers. never like we were never like driving for that that culture and it sort of happened mm-hmm. and then like i think i don't know maybe four or five months into the project we were like we need to can this beer because people are yeah, people really want it, and there's lines out the doors at neighboring sort of uh, retail accounts for crowlers, which is not. And like to me, like crow, crowlers freak me out a bit. So I'm like, oh my god, the do is completely unacceptable. Like we need to keep it below 30 ppp, and the crawlers are probably like 300 ppp, and it's going to go bad. people are going to think the beer's bad, and it's not. It's just oxidized. It's just a crawler. and so let's get a canning line. So then we started canning this, and then it was you know it's sort of funny. It's like right now we get cues for like our, our BA stouts and we didn't even have BA stouts back then. It was like, whenever we did a, a new hazy IPA, we would have lines of, of up to hundreds of people. And that was sort of like kind of crazy, but what was really fulfilling for me in some ways, it's like, all right, we sort of did it. And like one of the many metrics for success is like, I wanted to create some of this culture back in new york that i fell in love with where people got to hang out and do these beer shares like i still love beer shares to this day and uh here we have it at at equilibrium like it's it's happening now and you know that kind of led us into we never wanted to do our own tap room but let's now do our own tap room and so we we spent like 300 bucks or something and turned like one of our storage rooms into a tap room like our our table was literally like a pilot system with a piece of plywood on it. I'm like, here's a table. Here you go. Oh, man. Um, and then we we built out this like kind of very nice facility with a proper beer garden and a smoker and whatnot at, at South Street. And we opened it up right in time to close for COVID. So that was a little strange. Uh, but but to answer your question, like, you know, we I don't think we ever set out in the business plan of like lines of two to four hundred people every Saturday. It was more like, we're going to send out kegs and then the rest sort of just took over and kind of steered us down that path. But it did bring us back to where I sort of fell in love with the industry and the community of, you know, the, these, these line life and these beer shares are really cool. And I don't know where that's going right now because the world's still a little wonky. Uh, So we see it sometimes, but people are still sort of afraid to go out. So I'm not quite sure where, where it's all headed.
2: I think the culture here at Equilibrium started really organically too, because it's something we all loved. Like, yeah, we yeah. would come to releases and be here at seven in the morning and drink stouts and hops with everyone else. And people that were on the line were no different than us. And we were out there with them because it's really just something that we loved. Yeah, And yeah, the, It just kind uh, of grew from there.
1: So one of the worst things, and I'm going to throw both of us from the bus a little bit, <laughs> is, is, is during COVID where we were closed to public. Uh, you know, we could do curbside picket, but like we uh, like in the beer garden here, we actually created a share tent. So there's a big tent outside to protect from the elements. So people can hang out and drink beers before we open. If there's a big release is like Michelle and I would like sneak out on Saturday mornings and like, we'd have our own pretend like share. And it would just be the two of us like opening beer bottles at 60. I Now I, I would talk to my wife like, no, this is a work thing. She's like, this sounds like you're just drinking with Michelle really early in the morning. I'm like, no, oh, no, no, that's." we're uh you know it's uh beer share really like for we, we two really people we
2: missed the culture and the shares during that time we were closed
0: well so, you yeah, got to nice. you got to reenact it i guess yourselves and that you know that has its own perks the queue thing is so fascinating that to us in the uk it's kind of this like holy grail of this idea that people would you know brits are famously like queuing for anything but for some
1: reason, it's never really translated. I've seen it at McDonald's. Yeah. I've just, seen it we'll at McDonald's in Leeds. that yeah, was we, nuts.
0: We'll just queue for, for anything. But when, it's <laughs> come, when it comes to craft beer, it's never... We, we've done it like we've had a little queue and stuff when we've done some BA releases. And I'm really curious as to why you think in American beer culture that that this kind of community took off so much. Because I know that you guys, will Will, who used to work for you, Um, he told me that he got a job because he used to wait in line in the queues to get beers from you guys. And then
1: he'd, we met Will in our lines.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And then he'd have friends in the queue that he'd seen at other lines and it became this community, dare I say. Uh, Oh, that's a great name. (laughs) Um, but yeah, what, what is it that that's different, I guess, from the beer cultures. And I think, I think America is probably the only place where this kind of thing happens. Um, What would you say that the the reasoning behind it is?
1: I mean, I I can't really contrast it to say the UK because I don't really know that sort of beer community as well as I do here. But as someone who was part of that community and I still consider myself part of that, it's just super fun, right? Like, so we have a a finite amount of time and money. What do we want to do with that? I want to have the most fun. I want to see people who are like-minded. And I think there's also a little bit like Beer shares were really big. And I think that drove a lot of cue. And it, it's sort of like this narcissistic ego thing, because I, I felt it were like you want to be the coolest person at the share, like you have the coolest bottle. And it's like, oh, you only have that four-pack of Hazy. Look at this like eight-year canteen I found in my grandmother's attic or something. It's like everyone's like, oh, that's so crazy. And so people I think always wanted to get the craziest beers to go to the shares and, and like be the cool guy at the share. But I, so I think it kind of, that always upped the ante to everybody else. And it kind of became this like fun little competition thing. I, I think a lot of it is driven around that experience in the community and also around the beer shares is because when you get these bottles to go, like you don't drink some bottle that you waited six hours in line for by yourself on a Tuesday night. You want to get together a bunch of friends and share it because yeah. then they do the same thing. And that also lets you kind of uh, try six other beers you were not able to get by trading. You know, it's like sort of ounce for ounce. And at the end of the night, you get to try all these amazing beers, which is, you know, I, I think that the liquid ops has something to do with it as well, too. But I, I, think, it's, I think it's community. It's the quality of the liquid. And, it, and it's just sort of a, something I was cultivating. And it was an excuse to get together and drink beer, too, which may be the simple answer.
2: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that may be the simplest answer. Um, There's definitely this cool camaraderie, especially here in the States, I think. Um, And, you know, you originally started hanging out with these other people just to solely drink beer and try different things. But then friendships develop and then they're knowing, like, you know, about your family life and what's going on personally. And like, really, people I've met 15 years ago, I'm still in touch with. Yeah. I'm like I, I can fly to Seattle and say with like friends. Like I this network solely started off of like the beer community. So it's so much more than beer. And it's I think that really created this web around the culture. And we see it here at EQ. I mean we have day one EQ supporters that are now they're friends with each other, they're going to each other's weddings, they're godparents to their children. It's really as, as great as gear is it, it's evolved and now it's like, like about relationships i think and that's something we've always seen around the culture and the shares yeah we, we've always
1: felt like we kind of realized I, and we didn't plan this from day one but i think we felt it and made it happen but we realized a few years in we were, we're actually in the experience business like it's maybe a little bit cliche because other industries say the same thing but it's like it's not just we're selling a beer and people are leaving. They're here for the lunch show. They're here for the time. They're here for the experience. They're here to see their friends and hang out. And they're here to have a really good time. And yeah, they want to leave with really great beer. But a lot of it is like they're having fun. Like mm-hmm. I, I think it's really simple at the end of the day. It's people that have finite time and money. What do they want to do? They want to have a great time. Yeah. And so that also means sharing great beers with their friends. But like at the end of the day, like I think we're in the experience business. That's sort of what we're selling people. Is well, experience.
0: It's, it's so funny that you say that because today I've just done another interview with uh, Hennick from Omnipolo, and experience oh, was you know, yeah, experience was at the heart of the whole conversation because of what Omnipolo are and what you guys are. And I guess you know we have our own tap room now, and that that feeling of community is pretty much what drive has driven us from the start. But having a tap room to actually bring people together in and, and have really? different experiences but have beer be a part of it um, it's funny with the queue thing though because it's almost counterintuitive because when I think of queues over here it's generally just a lot of people moaning uh, just like all together just like <laughs> oh, I just want to get to the front of this thing like but maybe that's because it's generally for like toilets at festivals or something like that rather than like amazing yeah. happy beer at the end of it
1: yeah we we've sort of set it up now. Like when we do a BA release and we'll we'll have a queue here, it's we've kind of done away with the lines and people get tickets right away Mm -hmm. and they're kind of called the retail in small groups. So it's like, you don't have to stand in line. You can go to the bar, have a beer, share a tent, open up something cool you brought. And it's like, you know, numbers one through 15, your, your bottles are ready or whatever. Yeah. And that allows the other hundred people or whatever to hang out and just like be casual and enjoy each other and whatnot because we found the the stricter the queue is the more things can go wrong
0: yeah
1: you know people are getting numbers they're letting their their 50 friends show up right before the start and cut them (laughs) people are throwing chairs down the hills because they don't count that as someone standing in line and it was sort of we were like this is a Yeah, we, I mean, I can say we have literally tried every flavor of queuing that is legal and a little bit illegal (laughs) to try to make it a good experience for people. And we found that like, you know, the people show up on time, get beer and we'll promise that and then try to maximize the experience while they're here and just make it a a good time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if we can dive into a little bit of how you first got into to this game. Uh, Michelle, I'm gonna start with you. So how did, so you said you kind of went from dental hygienist into just absolute beer fanatic. How did you come to land at Equilibrium?
2: So it's a simple answer. I was online for the first release of Taba Apricot Peach. That's
1: the beer I said, it's the beer powder. <laughs> yeah. so
2: in 2017, um, February of 2017, um, I heard about a cool new brewery opening up, and I've had their beer on tap at Tachico's, which is close to home. And I decided to come out for the first release. I was waiting online. I didn't know anyone, didn't know Will, didn't know Pete, didn't know Ricardo. Um, and basically, was online. I was like number 18. I got bottles that day, um, and I took pictures of these bottles, put them on Instagram because I had like a beer account. And I started just doing that every week. And then I got to know everyone. And then one thing led to another. I started taking pictures of the releases and just kind of got intertwined that way. And then, you know, working nights and weekends here pretty much led into, okay, subtracting a day from hygiene, adding it to EQ, and then just went down the line and I'm full time no longer cleaning teeth. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah it's sort of funny because i i was doing our social media and photography by myself at that point and i was very mit where i'm like all right this is beer number three here's my iphone picture what matters is like the ph and the chloride levels or something and and then i was like oh labels can look different than like just the circle with a new number and, and so so it was sort of so michelle started doing the pictures i'm like oh these are really good and oh, kinda, wow. it was very organic think into the process.
2: Yeah. I mean, we started with pictures, then we kind of started uh not troubleshooting labels, but taking a <laughs> better look at labels.
1: Um,
2: and it, then just like um events and some merch things and it just kinda happened really organically and and I don't know. I'm very thankful to be here. So thank you for the
0: opportunity. No, it's amazing <laughs> to it's amazing to know that your passion has led you into the role that you are now and, and I guess for you Pete that's like you want staff like people yeah, like I'm that very thankful just, for it. Yeah, you just can't beat people who are enthusiastic about the product and and want to share the journey with you as well. But let's go back to the start of EQ then. We've kind of touched on a few bits of it. Um, You did a PhD at MIT, so this is highly advanced science. I imagine that you could have gone into a a career that would have been, you know lucrative in certain ways and and you could have followed a career path I did gone a certain, yeah yeah it would have gone a certain way but you you've deviated into the brewery game from being a really passionate home brewer and and I heard you talk about like you know people uh, could you get to grips with the brew kit this that and the other this was kind of a step out of really advanced laboratories to to something maybe more rudimentary for
1: for your skill set um yes and no i mean beer is super complicated like it's yeah. super simple and super complicated but it, it is literally a, a distributions of, of thousands of compounds organic inorganic there's a lot of biological activity in beer which does all types of interesting things and so it depends on how small you want it so you have a beer and like how it's a black box and tastes good at the end of the day but like how much you want to shrink that black box and unpeel kind of layers and go yeah well, why does it taste like this? Why does this mouth feel like this? Why is this this acidity sort of sharp? Why is it not? Um, To touch on the start of equilibrium, so I did my doctorate at MIT in environmental science, which is literally concentrations of stuff in water. And I spent a lot of my graduate work and a little bit of um, my postgraduate work traveling around to third world countries. So I was in uh, Haiti, Bangladesh, Vietnam, Cambodia, Uh, working on making clean drinking water for for the the countries down there because they're this is this is one thing I don't think a lot of everyone in the US appreciates. Like, you know, we're us as a species, we're mostly water and we need to drink lots of water. And you know, we get upset about various things over here. A lot of other countries don't have access to clean drinking water. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of a that was my original passion of trying to, to help people to do that. And I'm still very passionate about that. And so I did a lot of that, and then I've always been a like my heart belongs to New York City in terms of places to live. I love New York City, love New York as a state. And the opportunity came to work at a uh, engineering firm that was working on uh, cleaning up uh, polychlorinated biphenyls (PCBs) in the Hudson River, which is the river that flows around Manhattan and through the boroughs of New York City. And so I was a big part of the the modeling efforts, which is. We do a bunch of math equations to go, if we do this, does the river get clean in 20 years? Because we can't really look into the future, but we want it to be clean in the future. And so I was part of that. And, at, and around that time, I was starting to really be like, yeah, I can't hang out. I'm driving up to Vermont to get a case of Hetty Topper or, or you know, go meet my friends at uh, Blackpack Pub or something like Pam and John Parody. And so one of uh, my friends at the engineering firm, who later became a co-founder, was like, dude, you know, you're really good at stuff and water, right? And and beer is stuff and water. And I can save you a lot of gas money. You should just try homebrewing. I didn't know at the time but he had it in the back of his mind because he was more the business guy and I'm more of the science guy that he was like, you know, watch, he's going to, he's going to really like this and then get kind of stuck down this rabbit hole of trying to figure out stuff. No one's trying to figure out because that's what I do. And He's like, and we're going to start a brewery together. And that's actually exactly what happens. So he yeah. was like, you have all this training to take bad stuff out of water. Just flip all your knowledge in reverse and put delicious stuff in water with alcohol and it's beer. And so I, I got very kind of uh, excited about it because beer is still incredibly challenged. Like, like we have we have something we call EQ juice, which is this very distinct um, profile that we pull from our process in a very sort of small dimensional space of like residual sugar and remaining yeast and specific, uh, oils and hops that I'm not even sure what it is yet. Even though I've been working on this for like six years, we know how to trigger it most of the time, but it doesn't always do it. And I'm always like, why didn't do it this time? And it's like, Oh, well the hops set an extra day in the truck uh, en route from, uh, Yakima and Allison didn't do it. And I'm like, why the fuck didn't do it this time? And so there's still like, a tremendous amount, like, like, you know, at the end of the day, it's all the things you like in a beer. It depends on the distribution of compounds that have ended up in your glass. And that's like a, a really kind of scientific way to say like, does the beer taste good? Cause that's what matters at the end of the day. But those tastes and those mouthfeels and those flavor profiles and those aromas. And do you want another sip? This is a 13% barely stopped. Do you want more? Cause that's sort of my goal as a brewer is like, I want another one of this beer like you have a bunch of beers on top but you want this one again because it was so good you want this one and like trying to figure that out uh from a science perspective has been really interesting to me so even with my sort of high-powered skill sets it's still i haven't cracked everything i want to crack yet And i've been working on some of this stuff for seven years so it's it's really sort of interesting and then it's like so
0: exciting it's it's getting me yeah like it's getting the geek in me all excited You are listening to Track Brewing Co. presents a thirst time, and this is our interview with Equilibrium. Like what I meant by the rudimentary side of things, I guess was just the the engineering of the the brew kits. But like you say, I, I kind of touched on it quite a few times throughout the podcast series. Is just that yes, you have four kind of main ingredients within this product, but it's an infinite potential. And like you just said, then the variables so the variables can be so small as. Uh, hops spending an extra day in a warm temperature. Um, man, there's so much I want yeah, to go,
1: go, go, yeah. go, 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 go. No, go. Go ahead. Sorry. no I, I was just saying like one thing I, I don't think people under understand, right. Like hops is an agricultural product. And yeah. so the, the whole terror war mystery is a real thing. And like we had an issue with hops not too long ago. where like, there, California lit on fire and like Oregon lit on fire. And like these hops absorbed all this smoke, and it's like which little lots got smokier than other lots because we don't want. I don't personally like smoky IPAs. I like you know very fruit forward IPAs. <laughs> and it's like people were dry hopping, and all of a sudden, like you could smoke. And I'm like, yeah, dude, this mosaic is super smoky. And it's like people don't understand. It's like, yeah, that's that's because of the fires that happened out in the West Coast, and that makes it all the way to anyone who's buying mosaic all over the world. And it's like these are real variables. And there are things you can do to offset that smoke. And it's like, you know, th- this is sort of an interesting philosophical point about brewing is do you want every batch for the same beer to be the same? Because to do that, you're going to actually have to offset changes in your, your inputs and in your ingredients to try to get the same concentration of a thousand plus compounds in the glass. You're not going to be able to do that. It's too hard. And so do you want to do that? Or is part of the beauty of craft beer being a, a sort of, small batch thing is these batch-to-batch variabilities that result from things like fires or a really good rain year or not a really good rain year or i would say negative things of like the entire world is shipping stuff and so now shipping takes longer which means the trucks lose their temperature and get warmer because they'll the, the demand to ship things because of a pandemic really goes through the roof and like that's a very negative variable to me but like these variables are all real you know. They all end up showing up as different distributions of compounds in the glass, and so they're like. I think there's positive swings, like you can have more peach versus more mango versus more apricot. That's sort of interesting to me. But then it's also trying to mitigate these sort of things like smoke and heat yeah. that you don't really have control over. Because if I could control the fires in the West Coast, I'd stop them. But. I don't
0: have that Unless <laughs> 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 you do not. Um do this do, do those variables excite you then be within the brewing, or would would your ideal be able to control each process so you knew exactly what you were getting so your hops are grown in hydroponics out in the yard or something that you grow the grain in a similar way and everything is going to hit the point that you want or are those little variables wow, what what make it question. Yeah, fun and exciting
1: for you. Um what a great question. Now, my answer would be uh C, all of the above. Uh <laughs> sometimes like we nail a, fr- a flavor profile and that i want to repeat 100 percent, and that a lot has to do with the input of uh, the hops we get but you never want to stop making good new exciting beer and you can't do that unless your ingredients have variability in them so there's you know we we've learned over time that there's a very specific farm that we like and we know when we like the pick window we know the lot we like And that mosaic throws blueberry for us. And I love blueberry mosaic. And it's a it's a fickle thing, it's hard to find. But without experiencing those variabilities, we couldn't find that flavor profile. Yeah. And so, you know, there's hop Z that's going to be grown in a drought and probably be amazing. So, like, I don't know what that is, but I want to try hop Z because that's sort of the fun of of brewing it. I think that's the fun of sharing that with the people too. Like, oh my God, there's this new new beer. Like, you know, whoever discovered citra back when it was like a single plant they found on the side of a house or whatever it is and like whoa this is like gooseberry pasture this is incredible you know that's that's what you want to make those discoveries like that kind of stuff like to me i was super excited for strata like oh wait yeah yeah you know, strata, strata that we're collaborating with and it's like you know this is a really exciting hop and like hb you know 586 like that's also it's like wait this hop throw is mango and that had to lead to some sort of fluctuation in, in the flavor profile that someone got excited about and said, we need to now cultivate this from, you, you know, either just naturally getting more and more mango and weaning out the ones that aren't mango and, and just driving 586 into the direction that it is. But that comes from brewer input and response of like, yeah. this is mango. We want more mango because mango is delicious to like, one thing I've never understood is like, right. So humans, we have a flavor profile preference. And so like these plants remind humans of food. Hops are definitely not food because I've eaten hops. It's disgusting. But but it makes us think of food, right? And that's why we think mangoes are delicious, because it gives us like sugar and energy and whatnot. And it's like these plants trick us into thinking of their food. Probably has to do with some pollinators or something. But I've always found that kind of really interesting that we put this not food in our beer and reminds us of food we like.
0: Yeah. I, I so, had this I had this chat with well, someone a very good friend of you, probably Sam from other half about like hops smelling of coconut. He's just, he just—he was just like, because we were talking about Sabro, and it was a time where it just kind of came yeah. out, and it was a bit divisive. But he was just like, "Fuck that!" It's like, it smells of coconut. That is insane. Like such an insane process has yeah. gone to 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 match these compounds and like these smells and trigger the same senses yeah. that you would if you. Yeah, had I, I, I 100
1: agree. I will also comment that Sam's also obsessed with coconut. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I actually was. he has got a coconut uh, obsession. I was, I, I was visiting Hunek that you mentioned him with uh, with Sam a few years ago, and uh, we were tasting all these stouts. And Sam had his own bag of coconut in his pocket, and so he he literally broke out a bag of coconut and he like coconut bathed the beers. Like, well, now let me make a little tweak here. And he would just make the beer better by adding coconut. So, well, maybe that's why he was such a,
0: <laughs> such a fanboy of the of Sabro, um, Michelle. We've talked a little bit about kind of the the flavor drive and and Pete's processing, wanting what he was looking for to to create beers, but also the rudimentary start on the visual aspect of of the beers and what and what could be done there. What what did you pick up on that you felt that you could really grab hold of, um, and maybe you know the visual representation of equilibrium and how you. Like, you pushed that forward.
2: I ultimately want to keep things super interesting um, with the photography, the social media. Um, I never want things to get bland or boring. So even from the start, I was always trying to push myself to recreate these photos um, that I thought people would find interesting. I always wanted to dig into the science aspect and Pete's background. Um, even from day one when I was online, once I heard, like, you know, there was like two scientists starting this company. I was like, that's pretty interesting. So I always wanted to dig into the science behind it, um, use elements from that on some of the labels, some of the backdrops of the photography and always tie in the experience that people were having for the line shares and stuff Mm -hmm. and make it fun for them too, for onsite events.
1: I think you've, I mean, obviously you've done a wonderful job, but like talk about a challenge. Here's 400 hazy yellow different beers give them original pictures. And it's like, that's a challenge.
0: Like It's a real challenge. Yeah. yeah. It can
2: be challenging, but um uh, I'm up for it and yeah. I did it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's the exciting part. And I guess, Pete, to go back to like your start of um the EQ thing, I guess you was you know, speaking to you now, you get so much passion about the, the produce aspect. Was the visual part of it just something that you hadn't really, just wasn't your thing? Or was just, it just...
1: Was- yeah, I, I think to sort of just be blunt about it, uh, I didn't have a real brewing background. Like I never had a mentor. I never worked at a brewery. Mm-hmm. And I definitely don't comment on this, but I, I definitely have a perfectionist side. And like to me, the the names mm-hmm. and, and the labels were were sort of secondary that I wanted to perfect the liquid. Yeah, that At the end of the day, I wanted to make sure what was inside the can was really good. And that, that's what sort of opened up the business. But there's definitely a second layer of excitement of like, um, for, for example, when I saw the label for Empty Squared that a local artist had, had drawn, I was like, oh my God, this is MC Squared. Like, this is amazing. Like, just this, the way this look, it like made me tingle. Like, I got adrenaline and I was like, this is like, this is the label for Empty Squared. This is it. And I was like, oh, labels do this to people. That's kind of cool. Like, we should have labels that do this, you know, most of the time or whenever we can. And so that was sort of like the next layer on top of a beer. Because, like, you know, like, what is a beer? It's sort of a complicated question. Like, obviously, it's the concentration of the stuff, which I talked about. It's in a can. It's, it's a label. It's a name. We always try to have a story behind our beer. Else why are we doing a new beer unless there's an exciting story? And at the end of the day, the beer turns into an experience for someone who's like, I want to have fun with my friends. And it's like, like, how do you, how do you like help amplify human emotions is A really hard question. Like, how do you have someone feel like they're having fun? And I think that's hard, but it's getting a lot of these details, right. And then they get excited and they go, Oh, I'm going to show this with my friends. This is cool.
2: I feel like too, it's, it's more than just the liquid inside the can or the bottle. Part of the experience is looking at the art, looking at the photography of the beer you're now drinking because you worked so hard to get this beer. Uh, I think that was always something I wanted to help out with here. Um, from day one, my first EQ beer, I, I thought it was great. The liquid was always there, and I'm like, hmm. I wonder if like they had this cool, colorful label or tied in a science background to this theme, or had this, you know, social media post that like, you know, showed this science background, and basically it was tying together amazing liquid, liquid that was already in place with. A little bit of a more cohesive brand, and
1: that's something I just always yeah. find is we'd, shop, chocolate. We'd probably be on beer five hundred and thirty-seven if it was left.
0: <laughs> and sometimes that thing works. That we always talk about uh, in the UK beer scene. I don't know if you know. I imagine you do. But there's a there's a brewery called The Kernel, uh, which are based in London, and they've just had they they have never changed their branding, and it's literally just like a brown label, and it just says The Kernel. IPA, and then the hops, and and they're the only one that have just never, ever been in any way to how... It's kind of brilliant design, but Mm -hmm. it's just like the most simplest design, like just a shop label on a bottle. Right, right. Um, But what you've done, which is amazing, Michelle, and like just hearing you talk then is that you've translated what Pete's doing in the beer sense into a visual aspect, which I think is a really a lot of people try and get into brands and make it what they think it should be. But what you kind of did was you saw what it was and then you've tried to translate that to, to have that aesthetic.
2: Yeah. I've always wanted to lean into Pete's background and the science of it. Um, I I think it's super cool to be honest. Um, And not many people could say that they went to MIT and are, you know,
1: and yeah, no one believes that. It's like actually a real true.
2: So.
1: <laughs> really like, oh, it's a marketing thing. It's like, it's not a marketing thing. I <laughs> did go to MIT for like seven years.
0: Yeah, man, I'm a sucker for it. It's, I don't know if you know the guys, um, they had a brewery called pretty things in Boston,
1: but now I know him so very well. That's it. Yeah. My, and, uh, Martha. Yeah. Uh, Martha was was
0: MIT as well.
1: My advisors, uh, my, my Obi-Wan, if you will, was, uh, really good friends with with Dan, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So my advisor, yeah. Charlie, if you if you ever hear this, said emphatically, do not open a brewery, because my friend Dan is a wonderful human, loves pretty things, and is really having a hard time uh with having a brewery and do not do it. And I was like, you know how I don't listen to you? I'm gonna open a brewery. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, if we can dive back into that journey then, Pete, of like getting EQ off the ground. So you've gone from homebrew, and then originally you and Ricardo set up um, just a production facility that never had small pack in mind as such and the taproom side of things. It was, you know, getting kegs out to distributors. How did, did it feel like quite a simple process stepping it up to, to be a bigger scale, or was there lots and lots of uh, kind of struggle along the way?
1: I mean, there is, there was a lot of learning for sure. Uh, you know, it's one of these things where it's always a little scary to take out like, you know, a giant loan from a bank. And then within two months be like 90 degrees to your business plan and be like, all right, we spent months playing this all out. We told the banks, this is what we were going to do. Then be like, and now we got the money and we're completely doing a 90 degree (laughs) turn here because we felt it was the right move at the time. So it was a little scary and there was a lot of, a lot of learning, but I, you know I'm really grateful to a lot of the the staff and the early supporters of us that came and just helped us like learn how to can and put pack tax and four packs, and used to come out and like you know one of our our good friends, uh, Greg Clones, the owner of Draft Industries, uh, he would come run retail for us for just to hang out every release, just because we didn't idea how to run retail because we weren't we don't have that background, and so a lot of a lot of people just kind of came together and just gave us a lot of help and support. And so that Amazing. that made it better and then the banks were understanding when the cash flows were okay because they didn't lose all their money but but yeah like it was definitely like you know there it, there was definitely some scary times doing like a complete audible so early into a business with no like established cash flows like we, we were you know equilibrium is a piece of paper we got borrowed a bunch of money people's houses were on the line and like people would be homeless and failed so it was kind of a, a high risk move and then we're like, all right, we're totally changing directions here because we think this is a better move for us, uh, and it worked out, fortunately. But it was definitely it was scary, a lot of learning. But I think we just kind of had the support that we needed to to make it to sort of execute the new the new visions.
0: I'm going to ask uh, a kind of cliche question now, and I know that you've you've touched on it before. Um, you know, we've dealt with a lot of science there. Um, I interviewed uh, Dan from Forest of Maine, who's a beautiful painter and uh, out in Like, And I asked him, you know, is brewing art or science? And it's a cliche question. Uh, and I kind of feel like I know where you'll go with it. But, what, but how would you both answer that?
1: It's, it's a crossroad of both. It's a crossroad of both. Um, little, little known thing that uh, my father is a scientist, big surprise, but my mother's an artist. Oh, Cool which I think uh, makes me sort of a little strange of that. I'm very strong in science, but I do like artsy stuff with Michelle. Um, yeah. But you know, this is where we kind of get into like, is, is magic real? Is there, is it science? Is religion real? Is it science that just doesn't know the right science yet, et cetera. But I, like, I I do believe at the end of the day, there is compounds of stuff in a glass, but like, why does that taste good? Like that's, that's a really complicated question. And like you get into taste receptors, blah, blah, blah. blah. But at the end of the day, like, is it, is it good? Like, is it good beer? And that's a very subjective question. And that's where I think when, like, I know a lot of people, I wouldn't say have my science background, but they're incredible brewers. They're, they're like one of, one of our good friends, uh, Raph, um, from, I think Boca is the way he's pronounced. I used to be, I know him from Raph, his book and writer, but he changed his name. Like his, his palate is just incredible. And so the way he, he blends different beers to, to make his lambics and his gooses and whatnot, it's just like, and he's not running, computer codes to do what's the right concentration of peaches he's just doing it by taste and smell and and goes you know and the beer is beautiful like it's it's really amazing so i think what's really cool is you can approach it from from both sides but i would i would say it's strongest to consider both aspects you know like we we run the recipes i've i've honed for years here but every friday we do sensory we taste through them at the end of the day that's what matters that's what our community is going to experience at the end of the day. And so you also learn different things. Like we're not measuring a thousand compounds in every batch of beer. with you; we measure key metrics, but at the end of the day, it's like, how does it taste and smell? How does it feel when you drink it? Do You want another sip? So I, I really think it's sort of a crossroads of both. And I, and I mean that encapsulated in just the, the liquid, obviously the labels are, are artistic and actually and science too for us. But, but even the liquid itself is is a bit of both. Like you need to be tasting through your beer at every stage. And it it tells you stuff, it tells you if something's not going right or something's going really well. And then that's what sort of excites me where it's like, not when it's not going well, that doesn't usually excite me. (laughs) But when it's like, what is this, what is this flavor profile? Like, what is this, what is creating this? What is driving this? And is this something that's perfect where it is? Do we want to try to enhance this? Do we need to cut this back? Like, you know, our, our logo, which is the circle is very deliberate where there's like, there's no edges and equilibrium is, is sort of a, a life statement, but very much a chemical statement too. Like, you know, is this beer in balance? Is this a balanced beer? And so that's like, you can't just run equations to do that. It is a little bit of an artistry too, as well.
0: And what do you think, Michelle?
2: Um, I, I pretty much agree with Pete. I think there's definitely science in beer, but there's also the art of, you know, intuition and you know what do i think is going on here and that comes from like experience i would imagine too um it's a blend of both i would say
1: yeah i think like uh like ba stouts is a really good example of when we first started doing BA stouts we were very much like all right this is the base which becomes the barrel aid's version of the base in two Mm -hmm. years and we did that and it works pretty well but we're moving away from that in some ways where it's like, Oh my God, these barrels have such variability and this flavor profile says just, I need coffee and there was no coffee in the base, but this base beer in a barrel just needs coffee. It's going to really round out this flavor profile or like we get some other things of like, Oh, this is just like liquid Rolos or like Cadbury egg with bourbon in it, which is amazing. And this is the, r- the right way to complete this beer. And the beer is telling us that. And that's not like an equation we're running. That's like, what really, is there anything lacking here? Is there something that would just make this amazing? Is it amazing as a standalone? Like we have a beer, Special Relativity 1, which was very brewed deliberately as a base. That's not always the same base anymore. That is that is sort of a, I almost want to call it an emotional response of like when, when this beer just sings and speaks to us without any adjuncts, that's, that's it. That's the beer and that could come from a different base and it's like what is the that when you know when we have our sensory um panel like what's if something just spins for us we go here's special relativity batch whatever and it's not always the same base it's like what you know again what comes out in the glass that's what matters and so there's no science there that's all just emotional response really
0: yeah well it was kind of funny when dan answered that question he said that he felt like the art came in when you kind of gave up control a little bit so like he was saying about their their barrel age seasons he saw them more as like artistic yeah. beers than he did yeah because and then you guys do a lot of mixed firm stuff and amazing uh barrel yeah. projects
1: so do, you, so do you
0: do you struggle are, with that that you kind of don't no, have control over it because you know <laughs> because
1: i because i do have control over it because our our mixed fern stuff is very deliberate, and a single organism is added at a time at a very specific stage. So oh we, have, we have we <laughs> have not done wild spontaneous beers at this point, because because okay. that 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 is amazing and exciting and terrifying to me. Uh, but yeah, our our saisons are very controlled.
0: Would it would it be a control thing like like a spontaneous fermentation? Would that just be? Is it terrifying to? to just let your hands off the wheel and let it drive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty scary to me. Uh, the other thing is like, we work with a lot of different strains in the brewery and Mm -hmm. to introduce like thousands of wild microbes. And if some were to like splash that in the clean part of the brewery, I'd be very upset. And so like, we, we know, like we work with, uh, Primarily two very specific bread strains that I've come to to love, and we know like what they look like under a microscope, how to test them, so we can recognize them, and we know what they do and we know what they don't do. And so like to introduce thousands of wild microbes in the brewery terrifies me. Uh, so <laughs> I so it, it terrifies me and excites me, but I'd want to do it like if we were going to do like real like I so I'm great at science, not so great at words. Like what what. Uh, wild ale is i don't know what that means i have no idea what that means supposedly it's progenemic to some people some people it's spontaneous fermentation i prefer to use the word wild as spontaneous fermentation because you don't know what the fuck's going to happen i would want to do that in a separate building because i don't need thousands of microbes i don't understand running around our hazy ipas and our pilsners and our you know so that that's great.
0: we we haven't done a mixed culture uh, mixed firm um, project here we kind of keep it quite clean because of the terrifying nature of what happens, if yeah. Any I mean, books do get into. Let's clients. be real here. You know,
1: what, you know what terrifies me is like laying off seventy employees and shutting down the brewery because we can't make a good beer. Yeah, that terrifies me. And so yeah, that, has and that, that
0: that's a real a real possibility yeah. if you get a bad infection.
1: Yeah, and that probability to scratch that itch of doing a spontaneous beer, that risk reward profile doesn't work for me right now. <laughs> but if we got a separate with facility, you. or if we were to go visit. You know one of our friends that wants to do something I, it'd be really cool to try to set up that parameter space to get the right kind of microbes uh to make like a lambic or something just can't be behind us <laughs> that's too scary to be. Yeah. so we've uh,
0: we've geeked out on a few bits and I, I just want to keep geeking out so we kind of talked about like the principal base of beer like the the ingredients now hops get. A lot of the limelight, because especially if you're doing IPAs and those things, the 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 aroma, you know, they are giving a lot to the taste, all all of those kind of things. So they get their moment in the sun a lot. But out of those ingredients, and you spoke about water there, as in it's your background is water. Yeah. What do you think doesn't get the the attention that it deserves? Water. <laughs> and I was, I was I was probably pointing to us. <laughs> so when you talk about water, I know we could do probably hours and hours just talking about this. But c- can you achieve different flavors? What What can you do with water in beer?
1: So it, it depends on the on the water you start with, and this is sort of I don't know. I, I kind of screwed up. We have something called the farm brewer license in New York, and that's based on uh, percentage of ingredients, and that gives you the flexibility to sell your beer at different locations. And so in the beginning, they're like, well, your beer needs to be made with, like, I think when it started was 20% all New York ingredients, and I was like, oh, all our beer is mostly New York water, so we're good forever. And they didn't like that because their point was to support local farms and agriculture. But in New York, we're very fortunate to have, uh, I would almost call it like a blank slate. Like our water has is very low in in, uh, the mineral profile. And, and so that allows us to do a bunch of different things, depending on the, the, the type of beer We're like, for example, if you're doing a, a, a really huge stat, which we, we love doing and we're getting very well known for, you want a, vocal, a lot of alkalinity in there because it's like, you know, when you have heartburn, when you do, you take Tums and you want to like put Tums in the water, not literally because Michelle's already thinking about, hmm, a tongue stout. <laughs> Interesting.
2: What, <laughs> what
1: kind of tongues would you use for stout? But you want to do that to sort of round out a lot of uh, the flavors that the, the dark rooms throw to give it a balanced profile. Uh, you know, it depends on what you're, you're going for, for different IPAs. Do you want Do you want it drier? Do you want it sort of cleaner, uh, more aggressive? Do you want to accent the bitterness? Do you want to accent the softness? Um, do you want... Is the mouthfeel gonna be light and bubbly did you make the mouthfeel too minerally trying to make it light and bubbly which is i taste a lot of that these days and you know what do you want to do with your sours because that's sort of interesting because uh you know some some minerals blend very well with sours some don't we keep our sours pretty clean over here in terms of the, of water profile so there's a lot of stuff you can do like the <laughs> i would say the most important thing is especially if you're on municipal water, make sure you're using the right kind of activated carbon filter. Because if you get sort of chlorine and chlorine byproducts, you're going to get, you're going to get medicine in your water. You don't want that. That's, that's not interesting. That's, that's not a flavor profile you want to discover. Uh, you know, in a lot of places like for example, Florida, which is known for their stouts have naturally very high current alkalinity, which is why Florida stouts are so good amongst other reasons. Uh, but that's not really good for opi beers. So I think we're very fortunate here in the Northeast, in general, to have really good water to start with. You know, and so you can do different things. Like PIL PILSers are very interesting because PILSers really accentuate your water in a lot of ways.
0: Interesting, because I guess yeah, water. You know, if we if we look way back, you know, stouts and porters were a very London-centric thing in in the UK because the water was just so so heavy. It still is. Yeah. Yeah. So those guys have to do a lot of work down there to to you know whether it's reverse os- osmosis but they have to get it out and and put other things in. Um okay so you guys are constantly working on things especially on the science side of things to to improve in your beer and and I guess that knowledge kind of spills out into the greater you know when we're doing collaborations and these kind of things that's the beauty of collaboration is that you learn new techniques and you learn new things to look out for because, uh, you know, our, our head brewer, Matt, came from a very homebrew background. So he's kind of right. learned the science slowly uh, coming through and done an amazing job. And then we have Will, who came from a very science background and comes in and, and, and together they, you know, they work really well. Um, but if we were to span out like five years into the future or like the next five years uh, this can be like equilibrium or, or the beer scene as a whole. How do you see it progressing? It, you know, is there still new styles to explore? Is there still new processes to explore? Is there still new ways of uh, getting better hop aroma to explore? Um, how I, I think, do you foresee it, and, and what would you like to aim for?
1: I, I think I think the answer is there, there's always going to be new styles, there's always new beers, you know, and that's that's yeah. one of the thing about sort of the ecosystems of breweries in the world that there's a lot of communication. Like it's a very friendly industry. And so so people talk and like we haven't done seltzer, but like somebody made a seltzer that people got excited about. And then like it kind of like chain lightning went seltzer, seltzer, seltzer all throughout the industry. And so you know at the end of the day we're running a business too. If the consumers want something, you have to make a decision do you want to make that for them or not? So I think, you know, that kind of Depends on sort of practical questions like, you know, does our consumers really want this? Uh, you know, for us, we've decided not to make seltzers because we're just mm-hmm. we're not personally that excited by them. Um, so I think these these new styles are going to always kind of emerge and come up and down uh, within ingredients themselves. Like how many different hops are there? Like, you know, our collaboration is based on a hop. that doesn't even have a name yet. Like It's 586. And that's based on trying hops and going out there and going. This is a really incredible hop. I think for, for us, like, you know, we really are always continuing to make our existing styles better and better and better. And a lot of that, I, I think, is becoming uh, to the point of, you know, it's our it's our inputs. Like what's are we getting good Citra, like in, in forming relationships with growers and and helping sort of farmers know that this is what we think is the best for our very specific sort of process. And trying to get sort of the best ingredients we we can. So I think there's improving existing styles. There's going to be a lot of changes within ingredients, such as new hops like Five Eighty Six coming out. That like you know if you talk to to someone like uh, Barth Haas, about how they get new hops, like they have ten thousand varieties they're they're checking out, and it's very hard for that funnel to come down and hit hit you. But there's there's ten thousand varieties, and it's like, well, how does that variety work with our yeast? How does that work with our process? How does that work with Middletown water? And you don't really know the answer to that unless you make a beer with it. So I think there's always going to be continued sort of exploration in the uh, the hoppy forward beers. And then the microbes, we just talked about a thousand different microbes. Maybe one of those microbes is really cool. Like, I don't know. And and so like some of the projects I think are really cool is some of the brewers are starting to swap like Brett strains. And they're starting to go like, here, what if we blended Brett strains together in the cloud? or let's take some beer from your food or not food or blend together. What's that flavor profile? Come, what does that look like? And then if that flavor profile is amazing, what the heck is it? What caused it? Is it the blend of the two breads? Does it need to be volumetrically blended at the end? Like I, these are sort of the really interesting questions. I, I think, uh, you know, and to add the next layer onto that is the beer's got to look really cool and be really exciting to the community. And at the end of the day, that's going to give everybody an amazing experience. And so I think, yeah, sort of the future of equal living is to explore all these different layers. But at the end of the day, it's going to be to give everybody an amazing experience. and And the truth yeah. is, we like to have fun too. So we're also kind of creating the environment we want to be part of because it's fun, you know yeah. so,
2: I think too, like even the last year to year and a half, we've seen so many cool products come like Lupimax, Incognito, Phantasm. It's never just about like a a single style of hop now. Now, like, there's so much innovation, and I think that kind of trickles down to the breweries. And now, like, we're super excited to like use, uh, you know, Phantasm, or there's, uh, you know, Incognito we've been using for a lot of collabs. Um, And it keeps things fresh for us too, because it's like new products. And it changes the kind of the beer styles. Um, And yeah, as far as from like a visual standpoint, I think we always really try to dig into what's next. What do we want the products to look like? What do we want the beer labels to look like? What's the future? What direction should we go in? Even with social media. um, So it's a lot of work, but I think it's super exciting to just keep forging ahead and keeping things fresh and new yeah
0: yeah and i guess you we we have to be excited in our roles to 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 keep progressing and as soon as that excitement stops then i guess you walk out the door and be hang up the gloves Uh, i mean i I don't know
2: i can tell you like pete and i and ryan we text after hours a lot and we're just still talking about eq and the product and the label and who should we work with what style of beer should we do next um it's something that's that's so cool yeah, it's something that we really do enjoy and love.
1: And yeah, don't, don't the passion is definitely there. Don't, don't waste the light bulbs. If you have a light bulb go off, get it. Yeah. Get it out to your get peers. Get it going. Get it on paper because that could become something really cool and exciting. So, I so
0: think when I, I listened to a, an interview with you, and I think, it, I think it must have been like 2018, Pete, with a uh, – I can't remember the podcast name now. It was really good. Um, but you said in it that you didn't feel like you'd brewed a double IPA yet. Like you didn't feel like you'd – Hit, yeah uh, hit all the notes. That you, do, you, do you feel like you've brewed a double IPA yet?
1: I think we've, we're getting closer, but uh, you know, uh, <laughs> until we can turn our rainbow melon on, full blast every batch, I and mean, I, I like to know the precursor compounds, and I like to get that optimized, uh, you know, or, or maybe that is the, the double IPA, and that gets back to the variability. like that, the, the variability itself is the double IPA. You know, it's kind of, kind of an interesting thought exercise. but we're, we're getting there, but no, we're not done. We still got work to
0: do. Yeah, man, and it's so exciting. Like speaking to you guys is just so inspiring for me to to hear that because I think uh, again, it's something I I say quite a lot is just it it never gets boring to try a beer from the tank to to kind of know the processes that have gone into it and the little variables and just see if it's changed in any way and you know new yeast strains, new ways of applying hops and like said incognito spectrum, all of these kind of things keep you yeah i guess it's the the job of the producers as well on on the hop side and the malt side to keep coming up with new and exciting products some of them might hit some of them might not um but they're innovating as well on their side
1: yeah i mean that's one of the things that's crazy to me right now is they're they're producing uh fruit flavors from malt now if you have the right sort of genetics in your yeast and it's like what you can pull out of out of like you know malted barley you're getting sort of these really interesting fruit flavor profiles and like, so we're going to work with uh, uh, Lance from Omega yeast. He's going to actually put that gene into our strain and we're going to try it and wow. see what happens. So it's like, we already have what our, our yeast already does, which is very carefully selected. And then he's going to make it different. And how it taste? I don't know. So the only way to know is to make pilot batches or, you know, if it looks really promising, do a like an experimental batch, like a dehop for us or a fractal and just see what it does. Like, I, I don't know. And it's one of those things, too, like if we make a discovery in one of our ingredients process, like the next question is, like, could this make MC squared better? Like the the moment MC squared is a stagnant product, like I'm I'm retired or done or, you know, back to doing clean water in developing countries because then it's done. But MC squared is so far from done because there's so many questions I don't understand still.
0: I absolutely love that. That's so amazing to just think that there's something that you've kind of done continually over and over again is still feels like right at the beginning of that journey. Um, okay, so we better better wrap this up. So the last question that I always try and ask, it's kind of a bit melancholy, but also I'm just trying to get to the beer that still excites you the most. So you're you're at a bar, um, every beer that's ever been made is behind it. They have the ability to brew any beer that you would like. There's a little TV in the corner And it just flashes up and says, a comet's going to hit in an hour and wipe us all out. And the barman just steps up and goes, what are you drinking? What would be
1: that beer for you? So this this isn't the desert island beer. It's not the beer you drink forever.
2: It's the
0: one beer. I'm just thinking of like one beer that means the most, that you just want that one last experience um, to have. If I could drink
2: any one beer one more time, it would be three Fontaine OGV 2014. So I have always been a giant fan of um, how they blend and their skill. In um, mm-hmm. 2014, Odgou's Vintage is probably that beer for me.
1: Amazing. Uh, Hill Farmstead Art. That's, yes. uh, that's my biggest beer. It's also the beer that my wife proposed to put. Whoa.
0: I feel like we should do a podcast on that. That's
1: <laughs> yeah, <that's really> cool. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, one of our our, our first dates pre equilibrium was to Hill Farmstead, which is one of my my favorite breweries, and uh, and we we had art, and then a couple years later, uh, she had a bottle of art on the counter and uh, said, "Marry me." It's, it's kind oh of cool. man, that's actually well. That- I, I want to give you know thank. uh Sean Hill too, last art release. He put a, a case aside for me to get because he knows it's such a special beer. So it was, it, was, it was the art. Yeah,
0: it's still those Vermont beers that you used to drive five hours to get, and it'd be, and it's 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 been so much in your life, I guess, and that's an amazing it, moment.
1: Also, like their <laughs> Vermont beers are really good too. Like they're just really good beers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, guys thank you so so much for doing this it's been really cool to speak to you both Um, super educational as well Uh, every time I have these conversations it always just kind of inspires me even more to carry on and keep trying to push forward in in everything we do uh, and everything I do Um, but yeah I guess next time I speak to you or we'll touch base it'll be when we have a beer release hopefully
1: Sounds great man look forward to it And that's it—the
0: first episode of the new never-ending season of the first time. Man, it's just so exciting to be able to speak to people like Pete and Michelle. I hope you got all of their energy and enthusiasm for the beer world, and their incredible knowledge as well. We could have geeked out tenfold there, but we 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 held it back partly because I don't know what I'm talking about really. But (laughs) it's always exciting to do it anyway. So thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Massive thanks to Tom Coucher for producing this episode. This is The Thirst Time, presented by Track Brewing Co. And as ever, stay thirsty.